0: Over the next uh, few weeks, I'd like to take some time to examine the early church in the New Testament as recorded for us in Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47, with the purpose of seeing what the church of today can learn from the early church and its priorities and its focus. So as we begin, let's take a moment to consider the context and what was happening in those early days as the church at Jerusalem was founded. Well, after the resurrection, the death and resurrection of of Jesus, there were about 120 believers. There had been a great crowd that followed after Jesus while he was on this earth, but only a few faithful remained. And those who remained were totally new to this faith in Jesus Christ. They didn't have years of experience to draw upon. They they didn't have doctrinal positions clear in their mind. They had little understanding of God and his purpose in Jesus Christ, there were no Bible schools or seminaries to train them, no church buildings or or programs. They were simple people who were, for the most part, rejected by the religious leaders of their day with a founder who had died on the cross. But Acts chapter 2 and verse 1 tells us that they were all gathered in Jerusalem on this particular occasion to celebrate the Passover. And the entire population of Christians in those days could fit in a single room. Their leaders were simple men, fishermen or tax collectors. Uh, and in these simple men, when Jesus was arrested, fled for their lives, Peter, who was the most outspoken of them all, denied even knowing Jesus three times, and showed and demonstrated through that his his weakness. Thomas, another one of their leaders, couldn't believe that Jesus had been raised from the dead and demanded that in order to believe, he, he put his finger in his side. James and John... Further leaders in this, among those who were gathered together in those days, had at one point asked Jesus for a place at his right hand in heaven, causing such a stir among the disciples that they would dare to want to be lifted up above the others. And, and, and each of these leaders were, were ordinary people who, who struggled with what every other leader struggles with in our day. And so we have here in this early church a mixture of of people uncertain of the future that was ahead of them, many who had failed their Lord in one way or another, individuals just like you and I, they were even among them, the, the most outspoken among them, demonstrated their human nature and their weaknesses as believers in Jesus Christ. What's important for us to note, however, is that something happened in that early church that transformed these ordinary people. And the Spirit of God fell and began to move in a powerful way It was not something they had planned. This was a work of God that took them by total surprise. They didn't have any strategy to make it happen. And in fact, they were more surprised than anyone when this incredible revival began to take place. And in a single day after a message spoken by Peter who had denied the Lord three times, in a single day, 3,000 people came to know the Lord. And many among those were likely those who had called for the crucifixion of the Lord, and they were now confessing him as their Savior. And in the months that followed, men like Peter, like Paul would would come to the faith in Jesus Christ. And men and women began to risk their lives to know this Jesus who had died on the cross and the hunger for fellowship was so intense that believers began to meet every single day in the temple and in the homes of other believers. And the compassion for the poor among them began to grow so great that they, they were willing to sell their possessions and give it away so that others could have, that those who were needy would would receive what they needed to, to live a, a quality life. And there was a sense of brokenness and and love. They were willing to give everything to care for one another. Incredible things were happening. Believers began to become motivated to pray. Power was being released from heaven as a result, and unbelievers began to take notice. They were filled with awe, at what they saw. They were so struck by the sincerity and devotion of these believers that every day among the unbelievers, there were those who were coming to faith in Jesus Christ. What was the source of this? How did this church of 120 weak, uncertain believers develop into this powerhouse of thousands, the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God was moving among them. What we see in Acts chapter 2 is a work of God's Spirit This revival and transformation did not come about as a result of human planning or effort. This revival came about because it was the desire of God's Spirit to work. And the Spirit of God found a people open to see Him work. No preconceived ideas, no theology to hinder God, no traditions to blind them. And God's spirit began to move in power among them because it was his heart to do so. Now, let me read for you a passage that uh, that comes from Oswald Smith's book, The Endowment of Power. And this is what Oswald Smith says as he speaks about the work of the Holy Spirit and his desire to work in our midst. This is Oswald Smith. I often think of the Holy Spirit as a mighty river, but a river dammed up or held back by obstacles of one kind or another. Fancy a man standing on the dam and pleading with, with, in prayer with that river to fall, follow on. How absurd. Why, the river would answer, that is just what I want to do. Don't waste your time and energy in such vain repetitions. It is my nature to flow, and I'm more anxious to flow than you are to see me flow. Ah, yes, that's the secret. There's a dam in your life, a dam of sin. There are obstacles in the way, obstacles of unyieldedness. You deal with sin. Do you hear me? Sin. Get the bed of the river cleared and the river will flow, all right. You will not even have to ask the Holy Spirit to fill you. In fact, you will not be able to keep him out. He will come and fill of his own accord. Oh, how eager he is to enter. How anxious he is to get control. Why not give him a chance? Suppose I were to call at your house, knock at the door and wait for you to let me in. What would you do? Would you fall on your knees in the hallway and beg me to enter? Would you plead with me to come in? Well, suppose you did. What difference would it make? How would it help matters? There I am on the outside waiting and also eager to enter. There you are in the inside pleading and praying for me to come in. But there is a door between us, locked and bolted. What chance have I? How can I enter with such an obstacle in the way? Oh, you say, oh, Dr. Smith, please come in. And I say, open the door and I will gladly come in. But Dr. Smith, you continue, I do not want you to, I want you to enter. Oh, if you could only but know how I long for you to come in. I beseech you to come into my house. And thus with tears and sobs, you pray and plead. And I answer as before, just Open the door. Do we really believe that God's spirit hesitates to move among us? Do we believe that we have to beg him to do the work of God in our midst? Do we really believe that he draws us to Christ with great, great reluctance? Isn't it his heart cry to move among us? Isn't it his deepest desire to transform us as believers and our society? The question we ask ourselves is this, if it is his deepest, desire and passion to move among us and draw us closer to Christ and expand the work of Christ in our midst, then what keeps him from moving? Where is the dam? What is the door that needs to be opened for him to enter? Now, there are various things that will keep God's spirit from moving among us. And the first of those is our unwillingness to surrender our sin and rebellion. Sin, of course, is certainly a hindrance to God's work. But there's something greater than sin that is a hindrance to the work of God. And that is our unwillingness to surrender it and our desire to hold on to it. You see, we have hearts that are still unwilling to surrender our sin, our rebellion and God is calling us to die, to sin, to rebellion, to anything that would keep him from moving among us. And when we surrender that passion for sin in our lives, he breaks down the dam. When we give him control, when we say, Lord, break that dam down, he so willingly does so and flows through like a river, cleansing our lives and renewing and restoring us. And the second great obstacle to the work of God's spirit in our midst is our unwillingness to open the door. We cry for his help, but secretly are afraid to to open the door. There's something reassuring about that door. It, it, it Keeps a distance between us and God, and, and, and we long for him, but not enough to open the door because opening the door means the surrender of ourselves and of our lives, and, and it's, it means that he has control, and, and so we keep that door closed and bolted. Even though our desire is to know him, we're not sure that we want to know him that well. And then thirdly, there is a theology that teaches that God's spirit is not for us today. But I want to assure you of one thing, that if ever we needed the work of God's Spirit, it is in our day. How can we come to know the Lord if it is not by His Spirit opening our minds? How can we come to grow in the Lord if it is not through the strength that He supplies? How can we minister? How can we preach if it is not Spirit-inspired preaching that, that has a power to transform lives? In the early church, it was the work of God's Spirit that transformed the church, human effort cannot do that. And so it is sometimes our theology that says we no longer need the spirit of God. We can do this work on our own by our human efforts and our and our techniques and our programs and our agendas and we can make it happen on our own. And all the while the spirit of God is outside that door crying to come in, but we refuse to let him in. He who is the very power to change the very source of our growth, the very source of our spiritual life is bolted outside. And so it is the heart cry of of the true believer to open the door so that the Spirit of Christ can come and transform our lives and shape us into the image of Christ and lead us on into victory. The question I ask myself is this, do I really believe that I can change this society myself? Do I really believe that my education is sufficient to expand the kingdom of God and that all we need is good teaching and and everything will be fine? Will I trust my wisdom more than the leading of God's Spirit? Will will I place my confidence in, 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 in my teaching and not in the Spirit of truth? Can I save a soul by my own effort? Can I change the heart, the human heart that that God says is like the spots on a leopard that cannot change? Am I able of my own self, in my own skill, and in my own ability, and in my own education, and in my own training to be able to change what is spiritual in your life and mine? Can I change? Can I renew? Can I bring revival through my my efforts if it do if i can it is not from god it is from me and it will never last only what the spirit of god does will last and so today i proclaim that i need desperately need the spirit of god to direct and to lead me into truth and into empowering and into victory in my Christian life, and in my Christian ministry. And so how we need to see a fresh move of God's spirit in our midst, to, to know afresh his life in us, to experience anew his, his power, and without him, We're helpless, like a glove without a hand. We're helpless. And and how distant Jesus is to us until the Spirit draws us to himself. How fruitless are our efforts until the Spirit empowers those efforts. How we need in our day to see a great work of God by means of his spirit, transforming, like he did in the book of Acts in Acts chapter two, taking those simple, ordinary believers who did not understand their theology correctly at times, who who were weak and who failed in their Christian life, taking those individuals who are like you and me and transforming them by the work of his spirit Transforming them into the image of Jesus Christ, empowered for ministry and the expansion of his kingdom. And so we see the powerless and cowardly church of Acts chapter 2 experience an incredible move of God's spirit radically changing them. They experienced new life and vitality. They they experienced a depth of intimacy with each other and, and with God formally unknown. They, they experienced a, a new power and a new love. And this is what we need today, and this is not possible without the work of God's Spirit among us. And so, may God give us hearts, not only to long to know this work of God, but hearts that will surrender everything that hinders it in our midst, and hearts that will open the door and let Him come in and take full control.